welcome to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast. Our podcast features interviews and discussions on all issues relating to quality early learning and care, with a range of speakers who are leaders in the areas that matter to Early Childhood Ireland members. I'm Maura Corbett and I work with Early Childhood Ireland. You're most welcome to this series where we're discussing and exploring aspects of STEM or STEAM, how we enable and support children to have fun and learn across the areas of science, technology, engineering, arts and maths. I'm really delighted that my guest for this episode is Professor Marilyn Fleer, who is a professor of early childhood education and development at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Marilyn, you're really welcome. And I really appreciate you taking the time at the end of your day morning here to chat to us in Early Childhood Ireland. You're really welcome. Oh, thank you, Maria. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to, to talk to you and to all of the listeners on the podcast. So, Marilyn, can you introduce yourself a little bit, your background and how you developed an interest in the area of, of STEAM and play and um, how that can support young children's learning and development? Um. I think my whole passion for this area actually came from my early childhood and um, in, in a kind of a funny kind of way because when I began school, um, I never had the opportunity to go to preschool, but uh, when I began school I couldn't couldn't speak English and so I found I found it really tough to learn to read. We didn't have books at home because we, I grew up in a fairly poor family and um, so we were very... We didn't have a very rich environment in terms of those kinds of things. And so I think I naturally gravitated to the sort of the, the STEM or STEAM area because, because it's actually quite a, it's about wondering, it's about creative creativity, it's about imagining, uh, it's about playing with ideas. And um, and so it just, it kind of just made me very excited to, to explore things. And I have this little story to share that I remember from when I was very young, of course, um, going out into the back shed and finding all these bottles and filling them with liquids and, you know, pretending I was a scientist, you know, obviously a chemical engineer in the making or something. But anyway, I was pretending I was a scientist and and really just exploring with ideas, although they were stereotypical and they didn't lead to anything in particular specifically like school learning, but they were all about wondering and, and being in awe of, of how the world worked. And uh, for me, I think I've just carried that through to my life now as a as a person working in early childhood education in Australia. I just I just love I just love all the opportunities to to hear and see all the wonderful ideas that children can can talk about, can think about, and can do. Um, because I still think the world underestimates these beautiful young minds. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love that, that idea of the, the the time being so important because it's sometimes one of the things is um, in children not having enough time to explore and, and, and time to think. Um, so, you know, why do you think we need to be more conscious of the area of STEAM in uh, kindergartens and, and schools? I, I think that... Um, one of the wonderful wonderful things about STEM or STEAM is that um, it creates a way of thinking about the world because all of those things, science, technology, engineering, mathematics and the arts, are human inventions. We, we, we created them historically for a, a human need, 
to you know to explain the world around us and and I think children are the same they want to understand the world in which they live and they look to they look to other children they looked to adults they look at look to the media they they look to all the things that they experience and they want to try and understand what that is and I think we as early childhood educators have a really important role to play, whether we're working with infants and toddlers or whether we're working with three- and four-year-olds or whether we're working with five-, six-, and seven-year-olds. We, we have a really important role in, in um, um, supporting that curiosity and wondering, and there's many ways you can do it. But it's for me, it's, um, it's, it's, it gives the children... Um, in our world, a way to navigate and think about what they see. So STEM just gives us like different lenses on on what we what we experience, and we want those children to have those lenses because then they make choices and decisions that affect their health and hygiene. They certainly, can understand more about what's going on in the COVID world, which you know that's incredibly important. And um, you know we want children to feel that they have this agency to understand and explore with meaning and, under- and, and you know, make the decisions that they think are important for themselves, but also as partners in, in a community because, you know, children aren't on their own. They're with other children and they're with other adults. So, um, so having those lenses to navigate, the STEM lenses, is, is one, one particular way that we, we, can, we can gift children um, a way to interact with the world. And, you know, you said that there, there are many ways to provide um, that agency, you know, I suppose as early childhood educators, we would feel play is one of the, the key ones. So, you know, can you talk through how we do it in play and, you know, what the other what the other ways are of providing that agency? Oh, I'd love to share, share with you, actually, um, some thinking that I've had around this, because to me, it's a, it's kind of there's a continuum the way way in which people think about um, play and and STEM, so play and learning, shall we say? And um, there is a continuum um, when you look at the kind of models that are out there to help us as educators to create the playful environments that we want. And we often hear the word playful learning, and um, and the continuum, as I see it, if we just take the example of science, there's uh, science and play. We have spontaneous play. Um, then we have uh, discovery learning, sort of playing with materials and discovering some, some science around it. Um, then we have what um, we're working on, a conceptual play world, which I'll tell you about in a moment. And um, and then there are like process, sort of guided guided play and um, and where the adults are guiding the way the children might be thinking about certain things. And then there is... Um, um, of course, um, the whole idea of process skills, so the learning of particular science concepts. And then there is the more formal, uh, shall I say, drill and kill <laughs> worksheets, all of that sort of very formalised, decontextualised learning where children are just expected to, to recite, you know, things to, to do with um, the learning of facts, um, which has no connection. So for me, there is this kind of continuum and the work that I've been doing um, actually sits right in the middle of it because it's it sort of synthesizes the two. It sort of recognizes um, that play is the leading activity of the of the of the birth to five, birth to six. I actually think birth to twelve <laughs> and beyond. It's just play looks different and uh, looks different for adults as well. But I think I, I think that 
that the play is very important and the, the work that we've done um, has been to try and find a way that we can support teachers to, particularly in the STEM area, a way that they can confidently um, celebrate children's play and agency at the same time as thinking about what might be the concepts that are in the curriculum that we want to be teaching in STEM. And um, but to but the the work that we do, it doesn't begin, it doesn't begin with the concept. It actually begins with the play, the imaginary play scenario. And, uh, and so we have this model called conceptual play wells, and it has five planning characteristics. And the first one is creating, is to choose a story that children love, such such as the um, 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 Rosie Rosie's Walk, um, and um, which is a you know a classic, beautiful story, lovely children's book, and um, and so that book is is really um, special um, because it has lots of drama in it. Because as we know, the the chicken is going around the farm, and there is this attention of the fox at any moment being able to catch the chicken, but the the fox has you know, problems along the way, uh, which are quite humorous to children. And um, so choosing a story that can be like the the imaginary world. So the first characteristic of our model is choosing a really dramatic, exciting book that children love and that the adults who are reading it love as well. And the second characteristic is then to say, let's let's jump into the story. Let's create the imaginary world together. And and that this imaginary world becomes the drama and the excitement. And in that excitement, you know, the children can be the chicken or they can be the fox or they can, you know, they can be um, a cousin or they can be a farmer or they could decide to be a a shed, you know. So in that play, you know, like with most child-initiated play, children choose characters that they like to be. But what's a little different is that we have the story that brings all of the children together because we know some children um, struggle to interplay and uh, or have communication challenges and so therefore other children don't kind of understand what they're offering in the play you know when they make a gesture or something so when there's a, a joint collective imaginary world such as um, Rosie's farm then if somebody goes oh then um, and they might not have the language to say I want to be the chicken. They all say, "Oh, you want to be the chicken." And um, so it's 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 about this narrative supporting um, supporting children. And then and then um, so the third characteristic is entering this imaginary world. So how do you enter the story? So um, jumping into the story can be as simple as deciding the outside. And we know that. Um, imaginary situations and I'm very Vygotskyan in my views so my definition of play is that children create the imaginary situation they see something and imagine something different such as such as they see the outdoor play area and suddenly they imagine it to be um, to be um, Rosie's farm and that the climbing frame you know, might be the beehive and and so on you know the different parts of the story so they can they, they give objects meaning and so that's very powerful abstract thinking and really important in play as we know and um, and so entering the farm might be just putting a sign on the door that says Rosie's farm and everyone goes out and exiting going back out of the farm might be just closing the door and we're back in in the in the room of our preschool or kindergarten um, and um, and then the um, next important characteristic is um, 
a problem arises. So um, in this example, because I actually did this in in one morning um, as a pop-up play world when I was working with some teachers and um, in a preschool. And, um, and so we had been, you know, I had read the story. They all knew the story, so they were telling me the story actually. And um, and we'd we'd all um, rushed out to go into the in Rosie's farm, and the children said, "You're going to be the queen bee, Marilyn." I said, "Okay." So I was the queen bee, and and um, other and then a group of bees went, and together we were were part of the story. And then there was another group of children who were being other characters in the story. So we kind of lived the story and the excitement. It was really. Amazing. As the as the teachers uh, and I was working with the teachers there, so they were also being characters. You know, so one of them was was helping be one of the foxes because there were many foxes in this story. The children decided, and um, so so then when we came back in, and this is kind of not not so much like role play. It's more that they were jumping into the story and living the imaginary play that they had living it through imaginary play, the story that they loved and and um, and we had looked at just previously. When we came back, I had on my mobile phone, I, pre, of course, pre-recorded a little message, and I said to, to the children, because this was in a farming community, so I knew that they knew lots about foxes and, and chickens, and, um, you know, so knowing the children was important, um, and um, and so I, I said, oh, while we were outside on Rosie's farm, there was, there was a message that was left for me on the phone, and um, and and I uh, and so I said, I "Wonder what it is." And so the children were all really interested because we were all together still because we just had this lovely experience, and so we listened to it. And of course, it was bah, 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 bah. oh, it's Rosie's cousin here, and I want to visit Rosie, but I can't find Rosie. The I can't find the farm. I need some help. And so, so I said, "Oh, what are we going to do?" And so the children then decided, "Well, we." need maps we need to be able to work, support Rosie's cousin so this is an example of a, a problem that arises in the play and then the children started making maps and then they you know um, took the maps and somebody decided they wanted to be Rosie's cousin and um, and then they were explaining um, the the um, how to get to Rosie's farm and he used all the beautiful prepositional language you know under over around etc that's in the book and you know showing that in their own drawings, which were their maps, of course. So this was all about documenting their imaginary situation in a way that was meaningful to them. But we also, as part of that, we also um, we said, oh, we could we could go onto Google Earth and, and see, um, you know. So, so in other words, there were lots of things that could stem from that that then con- continued on, but for the rest of the day because we then, you know, experienced this beautiful play world. But that fourth characteristic is all about um, is about planning a play problem that is kind of like a provocation for the children. But it's it's not. But it's an authentic problem. It's it's something that's that you know that as knowing the children, I knew they'd be interested in. And, of course, I dramatised it even more because we looked at, we listened to fox sounds on uh, my phone and uh, and, said, and we talked about, oh, I think the fox is getting close. So, and then the children were, you know, one of the children took the phone and off they went taking photos of the tracks that they'd made and so on and so forth. So this is an example of what a conceptual play world can look like. And in that, of course, in this example, you know, we can say so beautifully that um, with these characteristics of a play world and this one being a pop-up play world just happening in instead of just the, instead of 
group time reading the story and then the children um, choosing activities, on this particular day, this is what we did. So it's not to say you do it all the time. It's just to say this is so much more interesting than having a boring drill and kill experiment that makes no connection to children's lives in, say, science or, you know, creating some sort of engineering challenge but still is dis disconnected from their lives. So here, you know, these children were on a farm, you know, farming community. This was really relevant. They knew the story. It was really exciting to them. And, um, and the children had lots of agency in this because, you know, they decided lots of things. But, but we, you know, the teachers and I, as educators, also knew that this book had beautiful, rich language in it, prepositional language, um, that could support mathematics, that the planning was really nice because the children had to think through. It's just very, very much design and engineering. And that the children's drawings, how they how they drew their representations um, from a front view or a plan view created challenges as well. So how do you explain the to go around the, the pond um, by drawing it and so on. So, so again, what happens in that is that, you know, new problems arise um, because, because the children are interested and they want to take it further. And educators, you know, we, we know what the curriculum is. We know where we want to take them, um, but we can work, um, we work with what, they, what the children bring to it, but also, you know, looking really closely at um, how they're reasoning and thinking about uh, things in that imaginary play scenario, and of course, then I had I had props and things too um, that I used for this because I read the story, but I also told the story, and the children recreated it. So I just left the props in the environment. So then the props became the tools for the children to use as they wished, but also they had the signs. So if they decided they wanted to go back into the imaginary play world of Rosie's farm, they could just put the sign on the door and invite their friends in. So in many, so, you know, and all of that first part, you know, took 20 minutes um, to to 30 minutes of um, of um telling the story, entering the imaginary play, jump, jumping in, being the characters, coming back, having the provocation, the problem arising, and then trying to solve it. Um, and it was so exciting. That was the, it, the room was alive. Uh, children were buzzing with excitement. And, um, and I got many phone calls from the teachers over the next couple of weeks saying, we had to go back <laughs> into our imaginary play world many times. And the children said, well, I want to go and visit Rosie's farm. And um, so it just gives an example of um, what that looks like. But you can have really long, much longer planned, um, more, co more complex planned play worlds as well. So, so choosing other kinds of books like with chapters and um, and you can easily um, expand that so that um, you read one chapter and and um, and the chapter uh, of a book creates that imaginary play world. But my experience has been that um, with all the teachers that have tried it out, um, the the longer stories, uh, particularly if they're very like with Charlotte's Web. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. It's filled with a lot of emotions and drama. And that's really important because that's so important to children's play to live those experiences and be Wilbur, uh, be Charlotte um, the spider or Wilbur the pig and, and want to save Wilbur. And so you might only ever read one chapter <laughs> to set the scene because then the children fly with it. And so then, so 
Um, and, and in experiencing that, the children will make suggestions about where to next as well. And, and if, if the play is starting to lose some of its magic um, because the children, the children uh, are taking it or have lost interest in it, then you can either stop or you can reintroduce, you know, a letter arrives from, um, from the rat. I'm just trying to think of the, the rat's name now in the story. And, um, and the, um, the, the, the rat might say, I'm really hungry and I understand that, you know, Wilbur might be able to help me. Can you help me um, uh, find, can, can you help me find Wilbur? I don't know where Wilbur lives, so I'm just using it as an example. And, and then the children can, can make decisions about how they want to uh, go forward in that kind of uh, environment. But all of the time that the planning, the planning is planning for the authentic problem that can arise, knowing the children, knowing the curriculum, and um, and 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 really importantly, um, monitoring. Not monitoring. That's the wrong word. It's really being with the children, and that's what we've learned in our research is that the conceptual play world brings the teacher into the children's imaginary situation in such a beautiful way, and and the children actually. I'm really happy for the adult to be involved in this play because it is a collective play and it's not like their child-initiated play that they would be doing at other times. It's instead of the story and the activity, it's actually about bringing this STEM experience to life through the drama and through the play and um, and how, and as a pop-up, it can happen just on that day instead of how you would have normally planned um, or you might decide to run run with a, a more complex story and keep visiting it, visiting that and, uh, with new problems um, based on observing how the children are going. And I suppose the more complex story is kind of with older children that the, the Rosie's Walk kind of pop-up is more suited for younger children, yeah? Absolutely. And, um, of course, yes, that's why I mentioned it. But also if we're thinking about infants and toddlers too in an imaginary um, play world as well, um, we often get asked, well, how do you do this with, with you know, I work with um, with infants and toddlers, so how could you create a STEM play world for them? And um, one of the projects that we did was um, all around, around um, the, the story. It's an Australian story of a possum. It's a naughty possum who goes into the house because possums are nocturnal and goes into the house and messes up every room. And what, what we did was we, um, with the infants and toddlers, this, uh, we created a big book of this story, but instead of using the, um, the pictures in it, we used the, um, the uh, we photographed the children's environment in the in the childcare center. So we had the kitchen, we had the the area where the mums sit and the dads sit with the children to settle them. You know, when they come in, and you know all the different spaces um, everywhere in the center. Uh, you know where the arts area was, um, and and so on. And so took photographs of all of those different areas, and they became the pages of the book. And then we had the puppets, of course, that went with it. So, but what was really beautiful, um, what we really learned was that when the teacher, the teachers introduced the book and they went through the story and, you know, the, the naughty possum was in the kitchen uh, banging pots and pans, you know, the children 
bang the pots and pans because there happened to be pots and pans with the storytelling, of course. And um, and so the children were living this experience of the story through these artefacts and making the noises and 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 then wanting to put the possum to bed and and um, you know and all of the things that um, we we know infants and toddlers. Um, are very passionate about <laughs> and um, and so uh, what was beautiful about this was that the, the the infants and toddlers even without lots of language they could signal to the educators that they wanted to go and play in the play world because they would go and get the book and they would give it to the educator or they'd go and get the um, the different artifacts and they'd start and they'd give them to each other to sort of signal that they wanted to play together and it was so beautiful and we thought it, you know, we so underestimate what these beautiful human beings can do at such an early age. Here they are initiating collective play. You know, we don't think of infants doing that, but they were. They were initiating collective play with the educator. But the educator, had, you know, of course, told the story a few times over the week. And so the children and, and want, you know, and, and the children would rush, you know, she didn't say all babies have to be sitting on the mat. Of course, that's not how it happens, as we know. She would just start reading the story and they'd all rush over and they'd be on her lap and they'd they'd start to pretend they were the possum. And then she she introduced some possum tails and because they all wanted to wear possum tails. So we had lots of possums. And so the children, you know, and then um, um then there were all these beautiful things that they did that um, just extended the play every day. But it was lovely because the conceptual play world, the imaginary situation. Um, really brought to life the STEM because she got the iPad out and they listened to real possums and watched possums, not real possums, I mean, there were real possums on the iPad, but they were listening to the sounds and they were looking at what they were eating and they were, and so on. And, and they went out because the, the reason why the educators chose this book with us was because they had they had lots of possums in the environment and so there was lots of possum droppings everywhere so the children went looking for those as well and and so you know for infants and toddlers to then you know they're looking at their world through the stem lens now they you know this is and and they're doing it in a way that's so meaningful to them because this is what's in their environment and they don't know what makes all these droppings but now they do and they know more about possums and um, and about the, the world in which they live through this. But also it opened up beautiful conversations with the families because most of the families had possums in their roofs. So there was these lovely conversations about that going on at home as well. So it provided this really rich um, context for play and learning in such a way that begins with, with the children, you know, begins with the children where they're at, but it also introduces this lovely play problem um, that they can take forward. So we'll break here for part one. Marilyn's examples have given us oh, so much to think about and reflect on. And please do check out part two of this podcast episode, which will be published in a week or so. Thank you for listening and uh, talk to you soon.